Hi, my name is Jamie Lynch, and you are listening to Eating Habits, my podcast about everything restaurants. I will explore the human element of the hospitality business, and I'll talk to the who's who in restaurants, explore their stories, and hear what's on their minds in the ever-changing landscape of the food and beverage industry. You're listening to the Eating Habits Podcast. I'm Juliette Kuhnley. Hey, Juliette. Hey, what's how you up? doing? Welcome aboard. <laughs> Thanks. I'm so glad to be chatting with you again. Yeah, I'm stoked to have you on the other end of the microphone this time. I know, the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. So let's get started. Tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, I guess how we met to give yeah. our the listeners a little bit of context. Awesome. And then we'll jump in. Sounds good. So I am a mental health therapist. I own a group private practice here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I see a bunch of individual clients myself, but also have a lot of side hustles going on, writing a book. I host my own podcast and I'm also a mom and just, just trying to fucking make it, man. There's like <laughs> there's a lot, a lot of balls in the air. Yeah. So we met because I stalked you on Instagram. I have <laughs> long time uh, been a fan and I think it was like LaBelle Helene I, I that's like was our new favorite place and I was like I, I, I want him to be on my podcast I want to know him so I slid into your dms and you answered me yeah <laughs> and I hosted you on my pod called who you calling crazy where we dive into the mental health and the stories of my guests and you have been so gracious to chat with me not once but twice about your story and yeah. um yeah we got a good thing going man yeah well you're pretty easy to talk to and i think you have a good platform to get a lot of the stuff out there so i was happy to do it i'm stoked that we've kind of become friends about it and now we can kind of use each other to get the stories out there so that's that's, that's awesome that's the mission Cool. Well, let's use let's use some of my story as a context to get into some of the other things. What, what do you specialize in? What is your main area of focus? Yeah, so my specialties are any mood disorder. So anxiety, depression. Um, <laughs> I have all of those, by the way. Check, check. <laughs> I got my notebook well, over so here. I'm like, oh, geez. <laughs> I know. I'm like, we're doing a... this kind of early in the morning. Like, are you ready for this? Yeah. And then grief and loss, okay. trauma eating disorders. Those are kind of my main specialty areas. Okay. So we were joking about it, but I literally have like almost all of those yeah. at some level, well, although my eating disorder, yeah, I think my eating disorder is directly linked to my, you know, my sobriety now. So okay. now I indulge in like, you know, Oreos, I can't control myself, but I yeah. don't think that's what you're talking about. I don't think that's a clinical eating disorder. So this is where the myths come in because Oreos are not bad. So that oh, is my whole oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. and I want to get into that. Cool. Because there's a topic that I've been thinking about a lot lately. And it's because, you know, so my story, my whole story about addiction and drug use and all that stuff came out when I was on Top Chef. Um, I did an interview on Top Chef in like the booth or whatever. And I had mentioned this whole this whole thing. And I had totally forgot that I had done that interview until oh, the show aired. So I was wow. almost as surprised as everybody else when they said it. Everybody was like, what the fuck? And, uh, and I was that like, was the oh. first time it all came out. Yes, publicly. My folks wow. didn't even know. Jamie, wow. My folks didn't even know that I had that I had a drug drug problem. 
Wow. And so yeah. you hadn't given anybody a heads up either because no. you forgot about it. Okay. I totally forgot about it. I forgot that I'd even given that interview because we give so many of them. Sure. So it was like this huge, like, everybody's like, what the hell? And so I started getting blasted all like all over the place. People were like hitting me up and say, hey, will you tell, talk about this? Like, are you open to whatever, this and that? And some people were asking me, you touched on the whole clinical thing. And I was like, people ask me, what is there a difference between like recreational use? right and abuse mm. is there and so are drugs bad is, is drinking bad is this this and like all this stuff sure. and so I had to start thinking about that right because mm. at the time I wasn't I wasn't sober either like I was still okay. drinking I was still like you know I wasn't using um, drugs the way that I that I had when I was in New York but I was still you know I wasn't sober the way that I am now right which is so I've been thinking a lot about that and I was wondering mm. what your thought process on that about using illicit drugs recreationally where's the line between that and abuse that kind of thing oh gosh yeah it it's a good question because when we talk about substance use disorder and you can to your point you can kind of substitute that with we can we can be talking about drugs we can be talking about uh, food we can be talking about self-harm the line in my very kind of short answer is when we're using it to avoid feeling uncomfortable emotions. Mm-hmm. That's abuse. That is when, when we're using it continually because we just can't deal. Yep. We don't want to feel the feels. Yep. So that's when you may not even technically clinically be abusing yet, but you're, mm-hmm. you're using it inappropriately and maladaptively. Mm-hmm. And then we talk about it as a, a brain disease. So true, you know, addiction is a disease. And then you're talking about neurobiology and brain chemistry and all of those sorts of things. So that can also be a different conversation. And then when it becomes, you know, a true addiction or dependence, dependence is when we have kind of those physical symptoms of withdrawal and tolerance associated with it as well. But I think the first threshold is just understanding someone's why and the motivation yeah. behind the use. Yep. Cool. That's kind of what I thought. I have the same kind of feeling about that too. I, I like, okay. you know, like I, I don't judge people that use whatever alcohol, food, whatever to, to, you know, to chill out, to relax, you know, as a whatever. But I think I totally get your, your feelings and, and the threshold there, right. Is when and you that's start why to like, it can be such a, a fine line, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially because we live in a culture that really glorifies so much of this. Yeah. So let's it's, talk about it's wine o'clock. Yeah, to, yeah, hundred. It's five, five o'clock somewhere. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah, perfect. it's that's always cool. it's encouraged, kind of. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's it definitely is glorified, and it can make it really confusing for people who might be thinking like they're actually making that choice. Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, this is my decision to have this drink or whatever, and it's just to wind down. And it can be really hard to like look inward and be really honest about kind of how intense that might be for somebody. Right. Do you think? Applying this to the hospitality industry, do you mm-hmm. see, do, do you think that there's any correlation between like types of people that are attracted to the restaurant industry or hospitality versus other things? Or do you think it's just, the, do you think the industry is part of the, you know, part yeah. of the problem? Like this, the, the environment of the industry kind of pushes people towards this alcoholism, drug abuse, eating disorder, like whatever. Right. Yeah. I think it's all of the above, but what I've gotten to know, especially in my conversations with 
chefs and restaurant owners like yourself really understanding because I've actually never worked in the restaurant industry I, I worked retail but understanding the vibe and the culture really doesn't set someone up well <laughs> to be able to say no <laughs> or to set certain boundaries or to prioritize self-care and sleep for example mm -hmm. so then it kind of feeds on itself well these things make me feel awake and i'm able to keep up and um so you, you you've talked about kind of that rock and roll industry part of it mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> and that so i think i think yes there's a certain type of creative person and we know about the creative brain that maybe is kind of more drawn to that industry and to stay in that industry mm -hmm. and then they get kind of bought into the whole vibe and it, it's then so it goes right so yeah, I think it's I think it's all the above yeah I definitely have I you know obviously you've talked to a lot of us you know I know from experience there's a lot of excessive use of everything um mm -hmm in our industry, especially back of the house chefs, but, but even front of the house, you know, people suffer from it too. I mean, they're just as susceptible sure. to, to all that. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely a responsibility to the owners mm -hmm. and the chefs and the leaders. Now, those of us who have somehow navigated um, a lot of this stuff to set a new precedent and to kind of start changing the environment or changing the yeah. conversation a little bit. So, so what would you say about that? I mean, what are you guys, what are you doing to do that? that so, like? par so part of it, I mean, for me, for me, I've implemented across the board with all of my management back of the house and all the stores, like this, like, you know, five day a week rule, right? Because mm -hmm. back in the day, like work, work day, work week, back in the day, I mean, when I was a young cook, we would work, you would work whenever, you know, I didn't clock in or clock out. I just got paid for like whatever the restaurant yeah. paid me for. And I was like, good enough. And I showed up whenever I thought I needed to be there when the chef told me to. And I worked until he told me I could go home. And that could be 16 hours a day. It could be 14. I mean, it was crazy. Now, I was working at a caliber of restaurant in that for a purpose too. Like I was trying to like learn from the best and do whatever, you know, that whole thing, like prove that I could handle it kind of thing. I don't think the environment has to be that way, yeah. you know? And so a lot of, a lot of what I do with my chefs is like, you know, Hey, you guys can't work more than five days a week. You know, if you can't, if you can't, you know, and I kind of turn it, turn it on them. So they have the responsibility, you know, it's not me setting their schedule, right? I don't want to be the one responsible for saying, Hey, you need to work today. You don't, they're responsible for their schedules. And then for me, it's like, Hey, you know, for the amount of work that you do, you should be able to do it in five days. And if you can't, then you need, you need to have a team in place that can pick up where you left off. And then you have to be able to like share responsibility so that everybody can kind of even out their workload. That's great. Um, you know, and then there's rare exceptions to that. I mean, there's times of the year where, you know, maybe it's restaurant week or something's going on. You got to work a six day fine, you know, but, but the company culture needs to be, we don't work six or seven days a week. That's not a thing that we do. Yeah. Um, so that's part and of it. Start from the top down. That's yeah. Right. And so that's part of it. You know, still some of my chefs still do it. I mean, they schedule themselves six days and I like, you know, I'll get a phone call about, you know, how their days unraveling and things are, you know, the, mm -hmm. the things off the rails. And I'm like, well, you know, okay. How much, how many hours did you work this week? Like, Oh, I'm working on like 75 hours. I'm like, no, that's not Ugh. right. Because your ability to work decreases right? Like, in my opinion, like the, the longer you work, or the more days you work, or the more hours you work, the, the more your productivity goes down. 
it's burnout, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're putting yourself in a tailspin. Yeah. Um, so, you know, so when things like that happen, you got to like kind of put your foot down and say, okay, eh, okay, this is how we're going to handle it. Now take a break. Like yep. go home, somebody step up, whatever. So in, in our place, we're trying to avoid that altogether, right? Set the precedent of like it's five, it's a five day work week. You know, if you've got to crunch it all in then crunch it in, you know, but then you take those two days and go do whatever you do. You know, I don't care what it is, you know, just, you know, be responsible and all that. So, I mean, that, that's the first thing, you know, I think for me, I mean, I'm a good example for my team because I'm sober now, like all across the board. I rarely take Tylenol, you know, like um, yeah. I'll just, I'll just kind of muscle through unless like it was really bad. I think. And that's something you've done for yourself. You've just decided. Yeah. It's easier for you to just kind of be clean across the board. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, I, for me, it's like. I mean, we can talk about my story a little bit. You know my story well. Like, there's so many reasons that I used drugs and alcohol, right? A lot of it was self-medication. I had a lot of stuff, a lot of baggage that I was carrying around dealing with. You know, it was part of the culture, right? Like, I wanted to be one of the cool guys, one of the guys that fit in. You know, it was a stress reliever. It was kind of how, like, at the end of the day, that's how I would, like, separate from my shift or the day, you know, that's how I kind of lived my life outside of the kitchen. A lot, a lot of that kind of stuff. So for me, I have that person, like that personality of like, I can do everything in excess. Yeah, yeah. I can do anything in excess. So for me, it's just easier to abstain and say, okay, I don't, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah. Um, and that's just what works for me. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a good point too, is that with, sobriety or even with people who want to cut back or whatever that looks like it's such an individualized experience mm -hmm. in so many ways you know you hear about these things like california sober or like different you know different terms and different things like that um, what the hell is california sober what are you talking what is that <laughs> okay demi lovato might have no i don't actually don't know who coined it right but i okay. think it means like um we should look this up but i think it means something like it's not all substances, but like I can smoke weed, but uh, I'm not going to do X, right? Like there's, yeah, got and it. that might work for somebody. But I think that, right. I mean, that's my point is that yeah. we get really caught up in like, this is what it looks like. And I also understand that if someone is truly addicted, sobriety is sobriety, man, at the end of the day, like, mm -hmm. and it's a really hard thing to accomplish by oneself. Mm -hmm. Do you think that's possible? Do you think it's possible to accomplish by oneself? Yes. Mm. I think, I think you can, I think you can, I think it's definitely easier mm -hmm. with help hundred percent and support, but I think it is possible. I, I was not able to do it on my own. I think I did. Yep. I think I did most of the heavy lifting on my own. Um, uh -huh. but I did have, I mean, my fiance now has been an amazing support in all the things that I do now, mm -hmm. you know, but I've had friends and partners throughout my life who were supportive of it. But, um, but I did most of the heavy lifting, you know, the yeah. decision making the, Hey, you need to do this now. Like this is time to whatever. Correct. Yeah. That's like, that was like an intrinsic thing. Like I, mm -hmm. I have to decide that for me. Yes. And yeah. then like the reaching out and, but your story is a little bit unique in how you did 
you know, like whether or not, because I can't remember exactly, but what did seeking treatment or going to yeah. rehab or therapy, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Yeah. So my, well, my story has been, my road has been long, right? Like it's been a s- series of seeking treatment, falling off the wagon, back into mm-hmm. some substance. It's a little bit of California sober action going on and then uh-huh. back into like some hard drug use and alcohol and then clean. Like, so it's been like this kind of like racquetball back and forth thing until honestly what really got me sober was that um i did a few years ago i am it's maybe almost five years ago now i I don't know time flies but like that wasn't quite that long i think it was three i think it's been three years i've been sober so about three years ago i did this chef's collaborative weekend dinner event in nashville where this group brings in uh uh, 24 chefs from around the country transplants them into a city and then sets up this weekend of tasting menu dinners and whatever. So you've got all these like awesome chefs kind of in the, in the know in their markets, everybody kind of knows of each other cooking together. So it became this just rowdy ass weekend, like party time. And, and there was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of partying it was off the rails. I mean, I like lost my phone. I broke my computer, you know, all this stuff. And when I finally got back from this weekend, you know, I was like, I did one of those things with those dry out sessions, right? I'm like, okay, I'm going to take a break for a bit, you know, at least a month. No, no, nothing just to kind of get my feet back under me. So I did that. Hmm. And after that month, I was like, just done. Like, I didn't Hmm. even really have to I didn't even really have to think about it. I was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to drink now. Like I'm, I'm able to, and I'm good. And time just kind of like ticked away where like a month had gone by, you know, two months yeah. had gone by three months. And I was like, you know what? Like, I'm good. Like I'm feeling good getting my shit together. I'm able to get up in the morning. I'm more productive. And I, and it just kind of started this lifestyle shift at that point where I kind of, you know, at that point, probably a few months into this little break, I was like, you know what? I'm sober. I'm going to stay sober. Like this is a new way to like do me, you know? Wow. So yeah, it was like, that was it. Never turned back. Yeah. That's incredible. I did not know that part of it. Yeah. So, you know, so that was (laughs) just a weekend of excess kind of helped kick me in the pants, you know? Right. Yeah, we don't we don't necessarily suggest that for everyone. Um, <laughs> no, I, I would not. No, and I'm not condoning that method as as a legitimate. But I also want to say, yeah, that that it's not a atypical what you said about um, you know having to go back to treatment um, mm-hmm. again. I don't specialize in substance use, but with eating disorders, we see that a lot too. Relapse. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, just kind of highlighting how hard the journey is because Mm -hmm. people can feel so much shame and guilt and you know oh my god I'm back to square one and and you just have to keep starting at that next day one and until it all clicks and until you have that support system and the continued support system to make sure the maintaining factors aren't there and that you're coping well and all the things Mm -hmm. what do you think about uh, obviously everybody's different right there's support groups, there's cold turkey, there's is I don't know if there's like medicinal stuff. I would I wouldn't go down a medicinal path just because I know myself like that would easily turn into another thing. And I'm like, Oh, well, now I, I need this to do my life. So I just kind of stay away from that whole thing. You know, do do you have any thoughts on 
people handling these changes. When you, when you decide or when you seek help, right, or you make a decision to, to change a behavior like that, are there specific tools or things yeah. you recommend people do to, to be able to do that? Right. So you got to have a full toolbox. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, if I had this like one magic answer to this question, I would be a billionaire. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> so you're still searching that out. <laughs> right. So it's what what's important is being able to understand one's individual triggers, yeah. one's individual, you know, story and trauma and, you know, things that that maintain the maladaptive symptomology. You've got to be able to replace it too with something. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to stop this thing, you got to be able to understand like that and trust that you can feel these emotions and be okay. Mm -hmm. um, for example, right? So your toolbox yep. has to consist of skills that are, that help you tolerate distress, that help you regulate emotions, that help you in relationship with others, that yeah. help you with your identity. A lot of people don't really know who they are outside of this thing. Yeah, how they relate to others, to themselves. There's a lot of self-esteem work and self-concept work, um, values work to understand. Like, I actually, don't value this substance. This isn't, or this, and this isn't helping me get towards the things that actually matter to me. But I got to understand what those things are, so that mm -hmm. those can kind of be my my guiding light. Yeah, and stay motivated. Mm -hmm. Is there anything? Is there anything particular across these different? maladies that people have, whether it's drugs, alcohol, eating, you know, whatever, is there anything across the board that people can use in your opinion, or is there a tool that you find to be most useful or most mm -hmm. effective? Yeah. Or is it kind of like a, you know, you got to kind of like plug and play and figure out. So there's a lot of that. I mean, the coping skills tend to be like trial and error. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, sure. what works for me may not work for you. What yep. works for me today may not work for me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so one thing is important to point out too, when I say, does a coping skill work? Mm -hmm. I don't mean, does it make the feeling go away? Right. Because again, that's, that's not a thing. Point. Yeah. The point is, can I tolerate distress? Can I navigate this? Can I trust myself to handle this temporary emotion and get to the other side? You know, of course, I'm a big proponent of, of therapy. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's, to be able to really learn the skills that are available to you, uh, we're best served by having someone understand your unique story and then be able to help you apply those things. Can people do it without therapy? Yes, but you know, that's just my little yeah. plug. Yeah. But I, think, I do think values, kind of going back to that, I don't think we talk about values enough. And I think we kind of, we tend to be on autopilot. Again, we live in a grind culture, hustle culture, right? So everything mm -hmm. is just kind of good, but we aren't really ever asked to stop and really think about what are truly my values, not society's values or mom and dad's values or the business I work for's values even, um, but my personal values. And when we're really tapped into that, the choices we make are aligned to those values. The coping skills we use are aligned to those values. Mm -hmm. To me, they're really foundational. Yeah. I like that. Mm -hmm. So in hospitality, right? The value that, that we share kind of as a, as a group is that we take care of others, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the whole industry is based on yes. taking care of somebody's needs, wants, or whatever. 
And that can be draining, right? That can become a selfless kind of thing. And I think I've suffered from that over the years. I mean, I've dedicated so much and we've talked about this in some yeah. of our interviews, which I'll link to in this thing too. So people can go back and listen and stuff. But like so much of my identity as a young person, you know, and my connection to people in the world was through food and taking care of others. Right. And I think one of the things, you know, you're, what you just said about values kind of triggered a thought for me was um, finding out like you got to have some self-care, right? You mm -hmm. have, there has to be a space in all of this where you say, okay, where do I fit into this? My needs and my, you know, yeah. fit into all this. Yeah. Yep. Go yeah. Ahead. And am I, pour, am I pouring? Cause exactly you, the hospitality industry, that's, what's beautiful about it, of course. Mm -hmm. But when you're pouring all of the energy into that, then what's left. <laughs> right. Yeah. You end up being, you feel depleted and, and kind of empty. So I think that mindfulness of like, there has to be a barrier. There has to be like a, a level, there has to be a gauge somewhere on you that says, okay, I'm reaching empty here, you know, yes. and empty isn't depleted. It's, you know, you have a reserve tank where you need to refill, you know? Um, yeah. so you and then the, the question is, so like, I understand what my values are. I've got a better understanding of that. And then the next question is, how well am I truly living into those values? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so just like simple example, if I say, you know, connection and friendships are a value, then I've got to really look at like, am I living into those? Because if you're imbalanced and you're not really putting energy and effort into the things you say you value, mm -hmm. that's when we feel less fulfilled and imbalanced. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we know that we're just much more satisfied, happy, you know, whatever word kind of resonates for you, balanced when we are living true to those values. So I think that's why I think it's so foundational. And I, I talk with like eating disorder clients a lot about being able just to highlight that point again about what your values are. So society tells us we should value body image, what we look like. But like for most of us, that's not actually when you tease it all apart. It's not actually our personal value. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so then you have to learn to reject some values that have been put on you. This is just mm -hmm. kind of another way to look at it. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it can be, there's a lot of work you can do around values clarification, but I think it gives you a much, it gives you much more solid ground when you're trying to understand this really ambiguous question of like, who am I? <laughs> yeah. So if you were, if you were talking to a newbie, right? Like me, right? About value clarification, right? I think that's super interesting. You know, I think, you know, I use terms like self-awareness, that exploration, right? Like thinking about kind of like, you know, I learned a lot of it through like Buddhism. Like I studied a lot of Buddhism and like Hindu practice stuff and like yoga. And so I learned a lot about kind of self-awareness and like, look, you know, being present in your mind and like really accepting that stuff. Like I think acceptance is part of it. But when you yes. say value clarification, what would you say to somebody to get them thinking about that? Like, how do I start figuring out what my values are? Awesome. How do I sort that out? That's an awesome question because it all can feel really existential and overwhelming. The good old internet has lots of values clarifications you can start with, mm -hmm. but truly, because I think it helps to just understand We can, I can send one to you if you want to link one. Yeah. Um, it can help to understand like, what do we even mean by values? So it can be things like family, adventure, spontaneity, success. 
But then really, again, the next layer is, well, what do I mean by success? How do I define these things? Right. But I think it can start with just, let's just brainstorm some, when you really like strip it all down and check in with yourself and think back to times maybe where you've been kind of your most free or relaxed or happy or peaceful or content, what were you doing? What were those things? What are the characteristics you can assign to that? You know, so there are some kind of self-reflective questions that can lead you to that. But I always say, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. Let's just look up a clarification and and dig into the vocabulary words that jump out to you. Mm-hmm. But I also want to highlight what something you said, because acceptance and mindfulness, we're always talking about in therapy and around mm-hmm. mental health. Again, even things like yoga and meditation, which can seem really woo-woo to people. Yeah. <laughs> people think like the idea behind those things is to achieve a Zen. Like mm-hmm. if I, I'm not doing it right if I'm not totally yes. Zen out. Yes. And that's actually not the point of these practices. Right. The, the point is to help teach us to learn how to like observe our own thoughts and feelings and experience to be able to then have more agency to kind of decide what to do with it or to be less yes. reactive. Yep. So it's the same as coping skills. It's not to make it go away. It's to help give us distance from whatever the thing is so that we can make different choices or move through it differently, that sort of thing. Yeah. So there's, I've done a ton of research and reading up and audio tapes of, you know, guided meditation and meditation and how it works. And so there's active meditation, right? Which I think that's just people that are mindful while they're doing whatever it is they do. People are do yes. people are meditating all over the place and they don't even know it. Yes. Right. Yes. And, and what you just said, yeah. yeah, it's just mindfulness. And I think you just reminded me of something that I, I've, I've been teaching to, especially my executive chefs, right? My executive level management that are now working under me because I was one of those raging chefs, right? Like I was the one that was like heightened all the time, going off the handle, screaming and yelling and acting a fool. <laughs> that was my style. Not so much anymore. Okay. So, sometimes, but not really. Not so much anymore. I've got it under control. But, that so, is the so, stereotype, by the way. I don't want to talk about that in a minute, too. That's okay. the stereotype of, of you successful chefs. Yeah. <laughs> well, there might be there might be some truth to it. It might not just be stereotype. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, so so this thing that I've been teaching people, which I think falls into that active meditation thing, is like. And about this specifically, right? When you start to get that heightened sense of frustration, whether it's anger, whether it's whatever, right? Chefs go off the handle. And I've had to learn to cap that, curb it, whatever. And so what I tell my chefs is like, you need to start like identifying that moment, right? Mm -hmm. Like whether you're in the shift and the shit's coming down around you and there's tables are sending food back and it seems like the end of the world. And you get to that point where you're about to snap. You need to be able to identify that point and say, oh, it's happening now. And yes. that's it. And then, and then whatever you do, do it, yes. but just identify it and start there and say, okay, that's what it feels like. You have to say, I'm starting to understand where I, where I lose it, right? Yes. And then once you identify that, then you can start, it starts to become more natural when it happens. You're like, oh, okay. You feel the feelings before that right? Oh, my blood, I'm getting warm. I'm getting like, I'm getting, you know, I have a a tool for everybody. I have a vein in my forehead right here that starts to like pulsate. Yeah. It's my tell. And it's funny because all my chefs say it. They're like, they know when it's happening. 
before I do because this vein starts to like oh my God. out. And they're like, all right, it's happening. Uh -huh. um, but so I started to identify that. That was my tool to learn this kind of active meditation of like, you know, one of my chefs, um, who's now like our vice president of culinary, he's come up to the ranks under me. You know, he'll say to me, like, if it starts happening, he's like, chef, you got to cool down. Like you're having a, and so yes. I can identify this, this feeling of heightened, whatever. Yes. And I think that's a good, like, that's a good tool for people. This active meditation isn't sitting in a room with incense, you know, trying right. to find, you know, levitate or something. Exactly. Oh, that, <laughs> mind, that mind body awareness is is everything. When I say to some new clients, you know, where do you feel that in your body? I mean, some of them look at me like I've got three heads, right? <laughs> but we are, we're, we tend to be so disconnected. Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, there's one part, we have thousands of thoughts a day, and most of us can't even really recall what those are. We're not even really listening to all that noise in our head. We're just kind of subscribing to it and da 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 da. But then we also have this really beautiful gift of body sensations and somatization of feelings. But when we're not connected to that, we can't really use it to our advantage. So to your point, I will help people create like a, a thermometer almost of like, mm -hmm. when I'm here, when I'm here, when I, you know, and as you move up the notches on up the stress thermometer, anger thermometer, anxiety thermometer, whatever it might be, the better awareness we have around what happens physically, mm -hmm. what happens with our thoughts and feelings, then the, the greater our chance for being able to apply appropriate coping skills. So you said like getting warmer, maybe, you know, breathing, getting shallower or tighter. My hands are sweaty. Like these are all very classic because your body gets into fight or flight when it's anxious or getting angry. Mm -hmm. So your body is physically preparing you to either like beat up the threat, run from the threat yeah. <laughs> or, play, or play dead. I mean, right. this is a physiological response, which is really fucking fascinating that our bodies do that. Yeah. But sometimes it does that, you know, it's too loud. It's too vigilant. It's mm -hmm. too unnecessary because there's not an actual threat. So when we can notice it happening, we can cool down, calm down our body and soothe that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I could go on and on about all that. Yeah, that's awesome. So let's, let's go to the stereotypes. So what, uh, let's talk stereotypes. Well, okay, well, real quick, let's talk about the thermometer real quick. I just wanted to say, okay. where's a good place on the thermometer to be? Mm. Cool, medium. Well, so there's like, also such thing as like hypo arousal, which is apathy. You know, that's kind of grief, depression, no motivation. So you actually don't right. want to be at the bottom of your thermometer, right? There's right. like a sweet, a sweet spot in the middle where you're able to feel the feels, you're able to find motivation intrinsically and extrinsically, but you're in this, what we call like the optimal zone of tolerance. Mm -hmm. um, you're not in hypo or hyper arousal. Yep. I think that's important to clarify because I think that leads to a lot of the problems, especially in, in restaurant business, right? Is that depression, that grief. I mean, the grief is something that I've dealt with a lot and have medicated towards, which starts that whole thing. So I think that's important yes. to say, Hey, like, it's important to feel those feels, right? Yes. Like you don't and want to be figure out what coping skills, what coping skills are appropriate for what level you are. Cause if you are mm -hmm. in the hypo arousal, you need something that's actually going to ignite some more energy. Right. Um, but if you're in hyper arousal, you need something to help ground you. So mm -hmm. you're exactly right. It helps to understand where you are. So as we're saying, it's trial and error with coping skills. You have a much better awareness of like what I need to get into that window of tolerance. Awesome. 
All right. Mm -hmm. Stereotypes. Okay. Then there's one thing I want to, I know you have, you have to go here shortly. You have some, some real work to do. So, so the, the stereotype, okay. No, I think there's a couple of things that come to mind in conversations that you and I've had in the past that I would love to touch on. So yeah, one yeah. is I think, and I think it's because these fit together TV chefs that we, we see, or you hear about, or just these stories that you hear, well, I guess when you're a foodie, like I am that successful chefs have to be just raw and mean and, you know, intense. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's that piece of it. And then the other piece is this idea of like what it means to be a celebrity chef to begin with. You and I had a brief conversation about that, mm. but again, I don't like remember I said, what I said, <laughs> but it, it kind of weirds you out. Like, yeah. Oh, it is weird. How, yeah. How people and, and people like me, this is why I like stalked you. I, because I appreciate food and what goes into somebody like putting care into it and all of the nuances of it. Mm -hmm. I look up to good chefs <laughs> mm -hmm. and, but I, I think what was interesting is hearing you talk a little bit about how, like, I'm just doing what I like to do. And now people are treating me like I'm like, you know, the celebrity. Right. I would love to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, it's different for everybody. Like everything, there are celebrity chefs and TV chefs out there that have embraced the attention and the, you know, all that and, and do really well in it for me, that's not something I ever wanted to do. Right. I was doing it for a different purpose. I wasn't like, I don't do, I don't cook the way I cook um, and put everything into it to be on TV or to get recognition. Right. I do it out of a sense of, of caring for people, right. Of nurturing. That's what, mm -hmm. it, that's what it's about for me. And so to be in the grocery store and people, you know, be really interested in like my life and what I'm doing, I'm kind of like, well, my life is like, really not that much different than yours. You know, I eat frozen pizzas, I eat Oreos, <laughs> it's like everybody else, you know, just, but, but this is my vehicle to, to connect with people. And so, so for me, it's super weird. Although I've gotten better about it now, like I, you know, I'm able to compartmentalize it, right. And say, okay, well, this TV thing that I do is not who I am, which is the problem yeah. that I had early on. Right. Early on, it was like the, my cooking was my identity. This is how I valued my contribution. There's so right? much ego that can go into it. Right. Yes. I mean, from that part that you're talking about, but also I would think too, just if someone sends a meal back, mm -hmm. that hurts, you know, that, that, yeah, that feels personal, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. It really does. Yeah. And we have to, we have to remember like, and one of the sayings, one of the mantras that we have, in the kitchen to kind of regulate that is like, you know, I tell my chefs and my cooks a lot is like, it's just food guys. But I had to get there first, right? Like yeah. we're putting everything into it. Yes. You're slaving away behind the stove and you're, you're grinding out these, these meals, but it's just food. Like at the end of the day, we're not, you know, I, I see, I read these reviews where people say, you know, zero stars. It ruined my day. You know, my steak was, you know, overcooked. I'm like, really? It ruins your day. Right. Okay. Well, you've That's got a pretty some, damn good day then. Yeah. You've got some serious, you know, serious like issues if an overcooked steak ruined your day for you, you know? Right. Uh, and so I have to Here's remind Julia my cooks. Card. Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just food. Like we, we can try again. You know, we can, there's a lot of things we can do. We're not, we're not ruining people's lives with, with what we do. So don't get so mm. down on yourself kind of thing. 
Um, but I think that's a really big overarching theme that a lot of people struggle with in so many different industries. I'm not what I do, right? Yeah, um, that identity to like what you do is who you are. Yep. I took it. That was a hard one for me to kind of get my arms around. And I still struggle with it today. Like I st everything I do is still around food. Like it's around restaurants. It's about cooking. It's about so. So there is an element of like, this is who I am, but it doesn't sure. make up me, you know, like there's a lot more to it. Um, yes, I'm inherently valuable and worthy, regardless of all that. You know, yeah, I guess we, we've highlighted so many, you've tried to get me to kind of hone in on what are really helpful things. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> so we've, we've talked values, we've talked coping skills, mindfulness, but just, I think just this point of like, what, how can I really surrender and settle into just understanding like my inherent worth mm -hmm. outside of all the noise I mean, that's what we're constantly, and I, again, I don't know other than Buddha who has like just achieved that, right? I think that's the constant work that we're doing. Right. Um, yes. And being aware that that's constant work. And I, as a therapist, am constantly doing it. I have my own therapist. I have my own like work that I do every day to, you know, try to achieve just acceptance and, and letting go and all the things. Um, right. That's what it means to be human. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yeah, and that acceptance of like, the goal, the goal shouldn't be perfection, Ugh. right? Cause you, you shouldn't set unachievable goals that are like, it's, it's like you're setting yourself up for disappointment and for failure where, totally. you know, I think start with attainable goals, right? Like self-awareness, like self-worth, whether it's the values, like you talked about earlier, goals that you can actually attain and say, oh, now I understand what this means, level yeah. up or whatever. Yeah. No, I was going to throw another like therapy thing at us. Do it. Um, okay. So I like therapy there stuff. is, a, <laughs> there is a school of thought around, you know, cause again, we were talking about like thoughts, feelings, physical sensations, but I think one thing that could be helpful for your listeners that I love to teach people is that thoughts cause feelings that mm. then cause our behaviors. If you kind of think about it as this trajectory. Mm. So again, if you, heighten your awareness of where you are in that thermometer, what's going on with sensations in your body. Usually you can kind of say to yourself, all right, what thought, what was I thinking right before that? What thought kind of led to that? Mm -hmm. And then the really awesome thing is you have these different areas then that you can then kind of cope. So if it's thoughts, is there another way to look at this? Um, mm -hmm. Is there a way I can challenge this thought? Is this thought even based in fact? Cause just because a thought pops in your head doesn't make it true. Right. And again, a lot of us don't even realize that we're subscribing to that noise because we're just so used to it. Right. So you can intervene in the thoughts and then there's the feelings. So, but if I'm able to reframe this thought, oftentimes it can lead to a different feeling. Yes. Right. But so there's the intervention of the thoughts, but then also the feelings, let's say that's what we were talking about before about if you're feeling anxious or angry or whatever, you can do things to kind of soothe those things. And each of those so thoughts to feelings is going to impact our behavior. Do I lash out at my staff? <laughs> right. Because my thought was he fucked this up. So then my feeling is anger. Then I lash out <laughs> mm -hmm. or can I rewrite that? Okay. You know, he's human. He made a mistake. It was actually because, you know, da, 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 da. So then I feel a little disappointed, but it's, uh -huh. it's much more measured. So then yes. my behavior is I have a conversation with him about how to do it differently next time. I like that. That's awesome. That's a good tool. What, how would you recommend? So we're, we're going to wrap it up because I know you've got some meetings, but closing thought for people that 
I know there's a lot of substance abuse stuff going on. I know Ben's friends, you know, Sam Domenech is a good friend of mine. What they're doing across the country for people struggling with alcohol, drugs, whatever, they are the best. Look up Ben's friends if you're struggling with that. That's for my people. Like that's where you find help for that in our industry. In your industry, yep. If somebody wants to do more individual work, get into some therapy stuff, how would you recommend they find somebody for them? Yeah. How do you find a therapist that works for you? It can be so daunting. Mm -hmm. So I love answering this question because the number one predictor of, we'll we'll say quote unquote success in therapy, which that could look different for everybody, but is your relationship with the therapist. Mm -hmm. So if you don't vibe, you ain't getting anywhere, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? And it makes sense because you, this is a relationship where it is built on, needs to be built on transparency and trust and real rapport. And so if you don't vibe, that's just not going to happen. So, so it's really important that you do find someone that you really click with. So looking at either web websites like psychologytoday.com, inclusivetherapist.com, also asking your medical providers, like these are good places to start to get Mm -hmm. suggestions of names. And then um, most therapists offer like a free meet and greet. And I really recommend doing this so you can get a feel for their style and their vibe. Mm-hmm. Do you do that like, in your practice? Yeah. And yeah. I was going to say, like, you know, like you and I cuss a lot. Um, yeah. This is something that <laughs> um, so we are. Right. But yeah. like my clients kind of kind of got to know that, that like, yeah. you know, that's, that's <laughs> <Yeah>. my vibe. <laughs> right. It's casual and conversational. We're getting some serious shit done. Right. But that's my, you know, but again, that might be a turnoff for some people. So that's right. just a small example of like how a meet and greet and asking certain questions can be really helpful. Another, you know, important thing to know is people always ask, do you take insurance? Do you not take insurance? This is complicated. I'm a huge, you know, social justice and equity is one of my prime values. And so it can seem to people because I don't take insurance that that's kind of contradictory. Um, But the way I explain it is um, that by by having clients who can pay full fee, I then have room to be able to take people pro bono or sliding scale or whatever might be necessary. But there's a lot of red tape for therapists that happens when you're um, paneled with insurance companies, a lot of things that clients don't even realize. But that said, you can find someone who's in network as well. So you can ask your insurance company for lists of therapists too. And then just have some questions, you know, kind of at the ready, like, the letters behind our name don't necessarily have to mean anything, right? Right. Again, the the connection's important. Does the therapist have experience in whatever presenting concern you might be coming with? Do you have no fucking clue what you even want to talk about? You're just kind of interested. That's also okay. We are the facilitators to help kind of nudge you forward and help you shape some of those goals. Nice. Um, So yeah, so there's individual therapy. There's also group therapy, which is really accessible to people. It's also terrifying to some people. Yep, yep. (laughs) You want me to talk about my shit in front of other people? What? (laughs) Right? Like, I'm not sure that I'm okay with my shit yet on my own. I'm not sure if I want to share that with others. (laughs) Exactly. But there's something really powerful about that connection and feeling like other people get it and other people have gone through it too. Mm -hmm. Um, That's another really good option. And then other like treatment centers for more serious symptomology and pathology, um, you know, high, what we call higher levels of care. Yeah. So. Awesome. Juliet, thank you for coming on and sharing I all this it. good information. I want to yeah. do, let's get together again another time and dive further down the rabbit hole if you're up for it. 
I did two for you. You got to do two for me. That's a. I love it. it I know how to. It, well, this fly, this flew by too because of our technical difficulties. Yeah, I'm still still learning. <laughs> uh, no, I don't know. Um, I know because I feel like I left us. Um, I was the only thing that I'm thinking about is how I was saying how like Oreos aren't good or bad, right? Right. But like, and then we sort, and then we went to this thing like about drugs, and I'm like, well, we should probably say like drugs aren't good. <laughs> right. Yeah, they aren't good. No, drugs are not good. I can't compare drugs and Oreos, but right. But then, but then it goes into the whole conversation. Every, uh, you know, my listeners are going to say, "Well, what about weed? Is right. weed a drug? Because right. weed's legal. And it's that's a California thing." <laughs> right. Right. So, and so I'm not. I'm not saying drugs are good or bad. Right. Exactly. That's kind of my point too. Was yeah. yeah. That's yeah. not I my. Think, that's not. The, yeah. That's not my place yeah, to I say. I don't want to take a stand on that either. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> But so hopefully that was actually clear. But anyway, yeah, I, I would love to to chat again. Um, awesome. Will you will you email me the links for um some of those um some of the places you mentioned for people to find um okay, therapy so if they want it. Thermometer. I can send yeah. you all this whatever you can link. Um yeah, and I'll have I'll have my my awesome producers yeah. stick some links on there. Takes a village, right? Yep. Especially um, since I'm technologically challenged. Well, we'll see what they think about this. They might be like, yeah, you're not doing this. <laughs> yeah, we'll put this one in the archives. Maybe we'll, no, they'll put it out there. This is this is great. I mean, listen, it's so important right now because of just, you know, the, some of the trauma that happened during this whole pandemic thing. People, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, yeah. we got we got we're going to have to go back to that. Like we have a lot still to talk about. There's just so many oh. things that yeah. society and people are coping with, you know, right. and I, I think we could go on for days and days and days about all no, that. I just but that you're, you're having the conversation because it's like to our point of it has to start from the top down. And that's right. why I respect about like Sam does his um, wellness program. He does like a monthly, yep. you know, where, and, and so it's like modeling for your people too. Like this is yes. what this actually looks like to care for yourself. And here are some options and skills and all that. So yeah. it's just, I think the tides are are turning. I hope so. That's that's the plan. I mean, if we want this, if we want the industry to be healthy and survive for a long time, then like people have to be prepared to deal with it. You know, and yeah. I don't feel I mean, Sam, Sam and I have similar stories about kind of like, you know, mm -hmm. how we we dabbled in that and drugs and alcohol and stuff like that. So like that was mm -hmm. kind of our generational thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what people did. That's what yep. we were taught. That's what we were modeled. And I think, you know, we, we have to be responsible to say, Hey, you know, there's another way. Yes. Your job to do it. You know, we're not going to do it for you, but like, there's other ways to do this life, you yes. know, um, yes. doesn't have to be that way. Right. I love that. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Of course. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.